Hello, everyone. This is episode 14 of High Fantasy, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. And today we're actually going to be talking about video games instead of books. And it's going to be fun, but we have to touch base again about like what we've done since last time. And also we have a guest from, I can't remember which number it was, but it was about word choice. And we just started talking about cuss words again. <laughs> Jeremy. <laughs> So I hope since it's been a while, you've been actually like really productive compared to the other three of us that just done practically nothing. So have hey, you I, been productive? I had, well, I finished another book, so I guess that's a, that's productive. Yay. So yeah, nice. you know, working with an editor, I think actually and everything. So it's the father daughter into the world story, the two that oh. remain. So yeah, next stop selling. So <laughs> it's exciting. Okay. All right. Uh, Colin, have you been productive? <sighs> I think I wrote like 500 words like a week and a half ago. That's uh, more than me. <laughs> Jacob? Uh, yeah, actually, I've been pretty productive. Um, I finished a major flashback scene, which is something I've been working on for a while, and also rewrote Molly's burial scene, which was, mm. I think, some of my best writing so far. So I'm really kind of excited. I'm about 250 pages in at this point. So we'll be able to like pretty soon start getting towards the end and saying, "All right, let's time to let's it's time to uh, junk all of this and rewrite everything." <laughs> yeah, that'll feel good. Uh, my accomplishment this week is that I actually read and finished a book. I didn't write anything, but I I read books and it made me feel good. But let's talk about video games, which is another time sink. Um, mm -hmm. Specifically, talking the stories within them to keep it story focused podcast. Uh, and the elder people of this podcast want to talk about a game I've never heard of, which is called King's Quest. So you guys have to explain what it is, what you want to talk about. Well, first off, before we get into it, I kind of want to give the listeners like a feel for what kind of games you play, what you like, how long, you know, that kind of stuff. So I got my first computer when I was five. Uh, my dad worked at Compaq at the time, so we got a hand-me-down from, like, the reject store. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and I started playing, you know, I played all, a lot of the classics, uh, adventure games, like King's Quest, um, a lot of the LucasArts games, you know, Star Wars games, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter were great games. Uh, other Sierra adventure games, like a Dagger of Amon-Ra, uh, uh, Woodruff and the Schnibble which was a great one. That was later in the uh, the life cycle of adventure games. I uh, play a lot of sports games. I currently play way too much Dota. Uh, that's been my addiction for the last two or three years now. I've got somewhere around 1,500 hours on Dota alone. Um, Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I tell people I used to be a gamer, but now I just play Dota. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's, that's what I did. Um, so King's Quest is an adventure game. Um, a lot of people will, are familiar with the term point and click. Uh, and it was the first, one of the first adventure games with graphics. Uh, so like King's Quest 1 still had a text interface. So you did everything like pick up, axe, that kind of stuff. But one thing I did really like about the King's Quest games is the fact that the stories are, they're, they're, it's like a mythical, story kind of like dresden where everything's kind of real like in king's quest three or four you kill dracula you know and in king's quest six you meet a dangling participle like this like little like <laughs> critter thing uh, and you know sierra games especially are known for just being brutally hard 
So um, I, I did love those games and those stories. That was one of the first times I had seen mixing of stories before. Like, oh, you know, there's all these different, you know, there's Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Norse mythology and magic and all this stuff kind of thrown into one area instead of just like, oh, we have to stick inside this one genre. It kind of split genres, which I liked. Yeah. So tell us more about the story, I guess. Well, let's see. I'm thinking like uh, King's Quest Six, which is considered to be the best one. Uh, the story is you. Is that all... where they start having video clips in it? Yeah. Was that the one that were gigantic? It was like the, the half the CD-ROM was filled with one video. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, you know, they actually had voices, <laughs> yeah. voice actors that were terrible. Uh, but King's Quest Six. So you wake up. You're Alexander of Daventry, and Daventry is the kingdom that everybody, like all the King's Quest people, are part of. Like you get, you become king. Well, king in one of the games, um, well, in King's Quest One. And you and you play different characters of the family throughout the series. So. King's Quest Four was one of the first games with a female lead ever, back in like, oh god, I want to say like eighty nine, ninety two, something like that. Um, so in this one, you're playing as Alexander the Prince, and you wake up. You're like you're trying to go marry somebody. Um, so you go there and you get in a shipwreck and you wake up on this beach. So you gotta like figure out where you are, who you are and solve all the, this kingdom's problems. So you got to go like visit the Minotaur and the Oracle. <laughs> uh, so it's a, yeah, it's just a great, great game in general. And like I said, it, it, it adds all these really cool um, elements to it. It mixes the story in. I mean, the, and with like most adventure games, you can get really into the story or not, uh, you know, cause like, they wrote back. They wrote lore for like ten, like ten books of lore that you can that are hidden throughout the game that are hundred pages long a piece for like the, each island that you're visiting and everything. So it was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, great one. If you if you got a chance to play, it. I really like the story. Um, it's a simple story, you know. King or prince tries to get princess. Evil dude doesn't want prince to get princess. The story itself is kind of simple, but there's a lot of turns and twists and everything in it. It's still just a good one. Like, uh, thumbs up, way up. <laughs> so, did it like influence you in any way in how you, you write or think of stories? Like, you want to do that story type of thing, um, or yeah, for sure. Like again, with the, with the not like there are the only walls that are in writing are the ones we put up ourselves. And so it's kind of neat to see them sort of tearing down the walls in between these different mythologies and that kind of stuff. So it's like, it's like when I started reading Dresden, this was the first thing I thought of was this game. And like, that's the first thing I compared Dresden to was King's Quest six because of the mixing of stories that, that are there. So it's okay to, it's okay to beg, borrow and steal when you're writing. I mean, <laughs> Oh yeah. It better be okay because that's what I'm doing all the time. <laughs> Did uh, any of you guys ever uh, hear of Star Control? No. Now that now that we're talking about King's Quest, I'm thinking about that. Okay, so there's this game, and you can you can actually you can get a copy of it, even though technically it's a DOS game, and you know it doesn't work on any modern system. But it's called Star Control Two, and it's like one of the best old school games 
ever. Huge influence of me on like writing, when I did music, all that kind of stuff. And it was one of the, one of the first games where you had choice. Like so you had you could direct the conversation as you went. And the the whole entire game was kind of like on this big timer. And uh as the the major timer came down like the big bad race was like taking control of everything they're growing their sphere of influence like other groups of people would stop working with you less and less so it added like a whole new dynamic to the um to the actual gameplay i know that's a little it, it changed the story to a degree too if you took too long that you, you could only win a couple of ways and it had a completely different outcome but they had that whole concept of like the precursors you know this advanced alien species that built everything and then they disappeared and then these other bad guys came up and then all these other races appeared in the galaxy because of that and it was just one of the first games that actually incorporated a lot of uh stellar cartography is the only way i know how to how to say there was like a whole map you had to have that was about I don't know. I mean, it was huge. It was huge that you had to use to like navigate and to get into the game initially because, you know, they used to do like the piracy protection <laughs> crap, you know, like turn to page 45, write the code, uh, put the code in. You know, this one, you had to look at the map and there are all these codes next to all the different star systems and stuff. And uh, but uh, here's yeah. a mini game before you get to the real game. Yeah, it kind of was. It kinda <laughs> that, that's was. something you right. youngins probably have never experienced <laughs> is like the crazy piracy protection. The thing is, a lot of the older games, they would do it like 20 minutes in. So you could like play for a little while. So it's like their way of demoing. So they, they you could, mm -hmm. but if you wanted to like get through it, you had to have the manual. Yep. Always the manual. I miss the yep. demos. <laughs> yeah, I Getting random magazines in the mail. It's like, here's a demo for a random game. Go have fun. <laughs> Or the shareware games you get at like oh, the bookstore. Yeah. They'd be like two or three dollars. You get the you get your floppy disk, you take it home. <laughs> floppy disk. That's, that's a, a phrase old. I haven't heard in a while. Uh, yeah. I mean I started gaming back in the day where my dad bought four megs of RAM to upgrade mm -hmm. the computer from four to eight megs of RAM. Yeah, and it was uh, it was mind blowing how much better the computer ran afterwards. <laughs> yeah, the original Doom required four megs of RAM, and I have no idea why I remember that. I can just remember <laughs> me and a buddy of mine screwing with our like batch settings and went in DOS to try to get it to run. We were like, okay, we have just enough. If we mess with this one thing here, I think the game will run. <laughs> I'll never forget there was some like Terminator robot fighting game. That was like 16 floppy disks to install. Yep. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, the process of that was just long. I think yeah. Sim Earth was like that. If y'all even remember that game, like way back, Sim Earth was like you 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 started from like the dawn of time and you like grew up, grew like all the different organisms and stuff like that. It was just like a whole stack of <laughs> stack my of mom, floppies. Uh... My mother decided to mold me in her image, and she got me playing Baldur's Gate on her original copy, and it was like a folder of six discs, and we had to keep mm. switching them in and out. And then, like, now I just have it on Steam. It doesn't matter. I don't need got, physical copies anymore. I got that whole thing about, like, going further in the game. Please replace the switch out mm -hmm. the DVDs. Yeah, mm-hmm. Well, like or when you, um, uh, I had a copy of uh, Final Fantasy Seven. And I didn't know I was missing like the fourth disc. And I, I, I've been playing through <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes. And it's like insert disc four. And I'm like, oh, where did I? And I've never been able to find it. That was it. That was it. That was the end of my, my playthrough. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. I also like we our first CD ROM drive was external. It was a big deal. It was a one X. So that was pretty crazy. And the game we got with it was this 
space fighter game called Mantis and Civ One were on the same disc. Well, Civ One. <laughs> let's well let let's go back to story type games. This is not just a gaming podcast. Yes, I have to direct us that way because I am the director. Uh, so of a, a game that really like strongly influenced me, as I've talked about before, is be Dragon Age Origins, just because I I love the story. But specifically, it affected me strong enough that I have to do it again my own way. Was it, uh, have you guys played it, all of you? Nope. Yeah. Okay. I, have, I never got for, all that many way. times. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, like for Dragon Age Origins, you get to choose a character of one of three races, human, dwarf, or elf, and then gender, and you get to really mold it, and you get an origin story. And that is a, you get to actually have a character with a background and wants and needs and get to role play. And that was really fun. And since I was role playing, I had a female character and you're doing the warden thing. And then there's the dark spawn and the taint and all of this is growing up. The fact that the dark spawn are actually like poisoning things basically. And you get to, when you go to the map, you get to see the blood taint kind of like going across the map as it's spreading. And, uh, and then you get to the area of Orzammar and that section of the game. And that's where my game always crashed. Oh, that was it was good. Orzammar the, the best. Orzammar was fun. I fucking loved Orzammar. <laughs> uh, I had a separate story that I decided to mold on Orzammar, and then it failed for other reasons. But <laughs> if you get to the section when they talk about the brood mothers, and specifically that the darkspawn weren't always just killing people. Sometimes they're taking the women and giving them the taint in a way that they actually adapt to it. And then those women end up start birthing the darkspawn. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it is disgusting. And then you get to kill a broodmother and it, it's horrifying. They're, they're so disgusting looking. But like me and role playing and the character is like the idea that my character could be taken by this monster that she hates, obviously, and being forced to birth them. Like that is terrible. And I hated it. And I loved it at the same time. <laughs> and it's like that kind of like fear stuck with me. And so that's a fear I like to play with in my stories now is basically what does it mean to be human? What if you're getting closer to the monster that you hate? And uh, Well, and like the secret of the Great Wardens, like why they're Great Wardens? Because of the fact that they actually take a piece of the taint into them and they try to survive. And that's how they know where mm -hmm. the dark spawn are and everything, like taking that piece of the demon inside of you. Mm -hmm. And the fact that at some point they're going to lose control. So they just decide to go off and fight the dark spawn until they die. Hopefully they'll mm -hmm. die in combat and not lose any more control. Mm -hmm. That that sort of like self doubt of like becoming a monster is I loved it. And the, oh, and the whole thing with the um the blood mages, like that was a you know this big no no. It could be used to fight the dark spawn, but at the same time it was like this really powerful kind of magic. And then that the kid that gets the demon inside of him and um yeah. A lot of that game revolves around the personal battles within you. Yes. Which is probably why I loved it so much. <laughs> and then it's just like in general, that game was just really good because whatever happened in the beginning of your character's origin story is going to come back at some point. As you like, if you're a dwarf, you start in Orzammar and then you go back to Orzammar and you get to face it again or whatever. And so you get to have some sort of cathartic ending to your story. And then also like the choices that they allowed you to have. I love the ability to actually affect the world. And that's kind of a lot of the things I look for in games now versus being railroaded into something. 
like when games really actually let you be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that can be fun. So it's like Mass Effect 2 type thing? Of course, I'm always too. I have to do a run through as the good guy first. Yeah. And then I and stall out halfway and... through my second time being an ass. Because you just can't handle it. You're not that evil. <laughs> I know. I'm not like you. <laughs> I actually always play the good person. I feel terrible if I'm a bad person. Yeah, there's a in Punch Club, which is very light on story, but I love that love that game. Uh, there, there is an evil, well, sort of evil route you can take, and like I think I've played through that game five times. I've only taken it once because like I cannot bring myself to be a bad person in games. <laughs> I hear you. It's, I, I was discussing that with somebody the other day. You know, they were trying to go through a complete renegade walkthrough on uh, Mass Effect, and like it's it's just like me playing through it doesn't matter i'm still gonna end up being 50 50 like that is the worst i can make myself i cannot just i can't be a complete asshole it's just it's just not possible but yeah yeah my mother she was very strange she got me into morrowind actually her and her brother they gave me morrowind when i was seven years old and i played it for basically ever since uh but when my mom plays it she likes to go through all the boxes and steal all the shiny things because she's compulsive and needs to get all sorts of money but then she started feeling terrible that she was stealing she started having like guilt <laughs> pains from stealing in a video game that doesn't matter as soon as she stopped doing that she felt better she's crazy <laughs> my mother is weird well oh, i feel nah, bad when my know. soldiers die in rts's i can't yeah. help it i'm like no i just brought they're dying <laughs> i've been playing total war warhammer and i've been renaming my armies into each like squadrons getting their own name, and then I die inside when one of them gets wiped out. Oh, yeah, yeah. they've been with me for a while. They have their own families to go home to, and I threw them into a bunch of zombies, and now they're all dead. <laughs> do we feel like this because we make stories with characters, or would we feel like this if Possibly. we didn't do that? Personal writer neuroses, yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean. Or we just like to get really connected to characters. <laughs> you know, it's kind of being part of a nerd as you get way too invested in these characters. <laughs> well, you begin to feel like they're they're real. You give them enough backstory. You give them names, things that they're into or whatever. I mean, imagined or otherwise, and it, it, it you just really connect with it. I mean, that's an important part in, in any writing. That's That's what you want your readers to do. You want them to die a little inside when something ridiculous happens. Yeah. Um, have you guys played... Um... L.A. Noir. Uh, no. Some of no. them. I played the, okay. like, the first like 10 hours. I'm going to spoil it. I don't know. It's, I think I spent like a week playing it when I wanted to actually power through it. Um, but I had fun with it. It's just like it, there is a story. You're playing a character. He has his own personality. And the, what you get to do is basically how well you do the missions. But the story is as it's going. But I got really invested with him and it got like, I not like sympathized, but like I cared the fact that his life was falling apart and then he died at the end and I got pissed off. <laughs> it's just like, I didn't expect that. I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm pissed off. It's just like, Bleh. Right. That's one of the, the, well, I was thinking about like choice and stuff. That's something that games can do that reading, you know, is harder to do because you don't, you're not as active in a book as you are in a game, you know, like in Walking Dead, you just have to kill some characters. Like these people have been around for like 
hours and hours and hours and you've learned all about them and then eventually you just have to like shoot their son because he became a zombie and they couldn't do it you know so you just like die a little inside you're like i don't want to do this that's something yep. to keep in mind as a writer is that you don't want your reader to disagree entirely with the choice your characters are making in the sense that you don't want them to feel like why would he ever do that yeah you, I... you want the reader to feel like if he was in that situation he could see why the character acted the way they did yeah and i think that's the thing that ellie noir did right is that i understand why he died he was doing he's very principled and it. it basically sacrificed himself for someone else and he had just enough time to say goodbye um but i just like they didn't give me a happy ending and i got pissed off for like 20 minutes ellie noir is the one with the dialogue choices don't match up with his tone and Sort of, yeah. You get to basically press someone of whether they're like telling the truth or hiding a little bit or lying outright, and you have to use evidence for it. And that was opaque enough in figuring out what was actually going to happen that I just pulled up a guide and did that, and I just wanted the story. Because I hear like one of them is like, disagree with him, and then you just start screaming at the guy, and it's like, but that's not what that sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> it's a well, fun game. You know, speaking of stuff that doesn't exactly have a happy ending, but had a very, uh, I don't know, very impactful ending was, uh, you know, we were were, uh, talking about Bioshock Infinite. The Mm. ending to Bioshock Infinite is definitely one of those things that I I was like, I don't know how to feel after this. Like, I had to I had to, like, go sit down in another room and, like, curl up (laughs) into a ball. I don't know this ending. Please tell me. Well, so. The short of the story is that, uh, like, Bioshock is, it actually, as it turns out, and part of the reason they call it infinite is because it's like, um, it's like a whole quantum theory sort of thing, like string theory, like all these different realities and everything. And so in one reality, uh, Booker DeWitt is this um, investigator and kind of this sort of decent guy that ended up in a bad situation. And and then in the other southern reality, he becomes this like religious zealot that wants to take over the world. And he finds out that he he's both people. That's kind of what the ending is. And the choice all came down to when he was baptized. Like he had done all these horrible things in his past. He had murdered all these people in wars and all. But he came to this preacher and the preacher was like, you know, um, just lay it all at the foot of the cross kind of. And he goes to baptize him in one of the bookers gets baptized and one of them doesn't one of them says f this and walks away and that's the divide of the two different bookers and so he ends up having to face he kind of goes between the realities and it's about like his daughter and stuff like that and it's just you you basically find out he's the good guy and the bad guy at the end right and doesn't isn't he also andrew ryan in the first one uh i didn't know that theory that's that like in the dlc yeah I okay. didn't do Barry Let's See 2. I did Barry Let's See 1, but I don't remember that. I, th- so I Yeah, because in one of the burials at Sea, you're playing the girl, the the daughter from Infinite, and you're going through different realities and murdering Booker slash Comstock slash whoever else. <laughs> I love how Bioshock Infinite puts the emphasis on constants and variables. So mm-hmm. the bapti- baptism moment never is the moment that decides them every time. But then there's some things that change every reality you're in, and there's other things that do not change no matter what reality you're in. Yeah, and then the 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 thing with the thimble and the finger, like that was something that totally just, I mean, my head blew up, I think, when that happened. <laughs> like, I think the first <laughs> so dialogue 
in the book in the game on a on the second playthrough I was like holy shit they just told you the entire story right at the beginning mm-hmm yep because like the first quote is Booker doesn't help them row and one of the weird time jumping twins says that he doesn't row and she's like what do you mean he doesn't row no he doesn't row like there's no reality in existence where he rows his boat <laughs> we've done this before yep yeah there's there's uh to to fill that in there's a couple of characters that they are like um i don't know pandimensional beings i don't know they ex- they kind of explain how that whole thing happens and they travel between all these different realities they created uh columbia the city that floats in the sky by screwing around with quantum mechanics and they basically skip between all these different realities trying to thread everything back together to basically keep the end of the world from happening and they argue they're they're brother or sister they're lovers they're the same like person some confusion they're the same person that okay that's right yeah just from one was a male in one reality and one was a female in a different reality and they communicated cross stream and that's how the whole thing that was it started. yeah and they argue the whole time about like tense of words that's something that keeps coming back up because <laughs> is it past is it present is it sideways like that you know it's all subjective right like they can't enough. figure out which one is which or just like their point of view is different from everyone else's point yeah. of view type yeah. thing yeah okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's constantly changing i love the number of times you can see them in the game just like chilling out like just watching you go yep <laughs> just because they're bored yeah yeah, they, they, that those two characters I thought were written really well because mm. they, they the the big the dialogue dialogue and bickering back and forth is just fantastic. It, it only gets better on further playthroughs when you actually get what they're talking about. I love <laughs> those they moments. Don't sound crazy. <laughs> yeah, they just, they stop sounding crazy and you're like, ah. <laughs> All right, is it another game that we should move on to? Something that influenced us. In. Like, influence how? Well, like, affected you that you, like, either want to replicate it or, like, you're taking the same plot line and doing it again because it was fun. Or, say, maybe uh, Dishonored for Colin because the world building, just, like, that was his thing for a while. Yeah, there's some good... The world building is very sparse, but told in, like, just little stories throughout the world. You'll read people's journals and whatnot. But it just creates a living, breathing city with an entire continent of history that the main plotline's just a little straightforward revenge story, but it's the filler that, because it's not filler, it's like creates its own little side stories. Like I find a note next to someone who killed themselves after watching their mother die of the plague and whatnot, and you're just like, oh, that's very sad. Yeah, like it's the the flavor of the world, I guess. Sounds, I mean, and that things are told in really oblique ways is like Dark Souls of it, this is a whole like uh, vortex of thought to talk about Dark Souls. It's just I have no idea what's happening in it, but I love it. <laughs> Does Dark Souls even have like a story? I just know it's like yeah. basically, you know, masochist game that you play if you if you want to commit suicide. Yeah, but it's a uh, fantastic story. Yeah, so okay. it's hard to keep track, but there was like Colin, you're going to have to help me with this. In the yep. first game, they're kind of showing that there was this like golden age, and it's something to do with fire. Basically, Gwyn and some other gods, they took control of everything, and in order to fight the gods, humans started getting the power of becoming undead. Because if they're not dead and gone, then the gods can't do anything to them. And then things started like, falling apart. And I don't really remember what happened in game two. Colin, can you describe that? Two is very separate. You go to a completely different world. 
different continent, same universe, but... Yeah, it's very confusing. No one quite knows how to <laughs> fit in because three is such a direct follow-up to one that it mm-hmm. kind of leaves two in limbo. But it's got the but, similar thi- similar themes of uh, rebirth and the Yeah, everything is, and... is kind of falling apart and then it's kind of heading towards a rebirth. And so in Dark Souls 3, it's the age of fire is trying to come again and you're like an heir of the fire and you can trying to get it from all of the other bosses and then you can control it. You can continue the cycle. You can break the cycle. You can do some other things with it and destroy it entirely, which might also destroy the entire universe. And it's a little, it's really hard to tell what's going on, but it, it's wonderful. <laughs> you have to read item descriptions because yeah. each item basically has a little blurb of the story in it and you just sort of piece them all together. And like the items or the spells or something like this was yeah. learned by that person. But how did he learn it? And it's this kind of magic or something or that item belongs to that dude. How did it get all the way over there? It's it's crazy. And But they don't actually give you any direction or any like explicit rules to follow. <laughs> but then they also have a nice explanation for why you can invade other people's worlds and stuff. Things that there's like a convergence of worlds. So if you have the proper like stones or magic, you can break through into other people's stuff. It's like the entire theme of three. Yeah. Time is a very wonky thing in Dark Souls. Like Dark Tower wonky? <laughs> uh, it's just like some things might have happened or they didn't happen yet. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and everything is about like it, there was a great world, great and expansive and powerful. And then now all you're seeing is its remains. So everything is like. Uh, there was a, a, a temple and now it's just overgrown with moss and everything's breaking down. And that's the theme for everything. I love in two, you spend the entire time, you're going through Dren Lake and everything is about King Vendrick and how he brought the war to the giants and took their souls and the giants came back and crushed his kingdom and whatnot. But King Vendrick is this massive, powerful figure. And by the time you finally get all the way down to him and where he is, he already lost his He's just hollow, and he's just a big giant guy walking mm-hmm. in a circle, completely lost to the world. Yeah. I think everything you can kill him. Built, yeah, you can kill but, him. But you don't but need every, to, because he's just wandering. Everything he got built up to be just fell flat on his face, and you almost like, the, disappointed. The thing about the, the giants, though, I just remembered, is that at one point, you go through, it's kind of towards the late of the game, you go through the giant's memories in order yeah. to get like, a seed. And so you have to go hurt one of the specific giants. And then... Since that happened in the past, when you're going in the beginning of the game, when you go into a certain area, the giant looks at you and he becomes enraged because he remembers what you did to him all those many years before. So this is all sorts of weird time travel memory crap. Wibbly wobbly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, one thing I will say that a game is sort of influencing me with right now is The Final Station. Uh, It's a tiny build game. They're one of our sponsors. Uh, and the story is sort of told out of order and passively. Uh, like, so you hear, you, you start picking up what's going on. So like in the game, the world is pretty much over. There's a few cities and you're this train conductor who's trying to take this Ricky ass train across the wasteland, picking up passengers, that kind of stuff. And the story is just told like, very passively, so you like you overhear a lot of stuff, 
and he's really not a part of the story too much. It's just like, oh, well, this is you. So you start to slowly learn, you know, what happened to humanity? Why is there these things? And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to is there, is passive is a passive storytelling like that doable in a book where it's sort of happening around the main character? Uh, I hope so, because that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I was one of the books that I read and finished was actually one by Stephen Bruce. And I realized I was reading it since it's been a long time since I read anything from him is that there is so much about his world and his city. When he talks about the city of Adrilanka, there's so much that I don't know that makes it feel like it's a living, breathing thing because it's changing as like the characters talking about, Oh, a few years ago, there was a thing here and now it's gone. So as it's changing, like, I feel like it is a real thing. And leaves that sense of mystery where you kind of want to know what's going on. Yeah. But it's just, it's also spoken of as matter of factly by the character and everyone, the side characters as well. So it's kind of passive in the fact that they're not explicitly explaining anything. So it's not like laying it out for someone who's never heard of it before. They're just talking about it and you kind of get left confused, which helps feel the immersion. Yeah, there was a lot of that in the um, if y'all if any of y'all have read The Lies of Locke Lamora. Yes, it, it's kind of there was kind of a lot of that where I was like, OK, are they ever going to say anything about this? And I'm like, OK, so it's just kind of what it just got left there. But um, yeah. it left you with an uneasy feeling at times in the book because you didn't really know what was going on. But you knew that there was a lot of stuff that had happened. So it was cool. Yeah, it's just just thinking about that. It's like, so there was a scene towards the beginning of like people jousting with these shark monsters or something, yeah. and they like die all the time. But then that never comes up towards the end. It's just like that's the setting. This is how crazy the setting is. Mm-hmm. Well, the the two warriors do the, the yeah. They show back up later, and they're really bad. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good way of like I suppose like introducing this is the bad guy you have to fight later, but. Those sharks never come up again. It's just <laughs> crazy setting. I do love um, In Lies of Lacamora, the Wraithstone, which obviously plays a oh yeah, big, but just like it's so casually mentioned a couple times in the story, but like it's creepy enough that you're like, that's kind of weird, and you're a little unnerved by it, and then it plays a big role in the finish. So oh yeah, and you then you start to wonder what other lore is connected to that. You know what. It, I mean, is this an it's is it a naturally occurring thing? Is this Wraithstone or is it connected to all that, you know, all the other magic and stuff that kind of was in that previous age? And, you know, it lends to more curiosity and, um, you know, it was good. Good. Good example of foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. OK, I've got a question just out of sort of out of nowhere. So Silent Hill 2, one of the considered one of the best, maybe if not the best survival horror game of all time. Uh, has this really wonderful effect of fog that limits your view while you're walking around the city, right? Uh, fantastic game. You should totally play it. Uh, but so my, my sort of my thought is like, is there a way to build the ambiance of something like that into your writing? Or do you have any tips for doing that? Because that's something that visually it's easy to talk about. Like you just see it, you know, you have this creepy sounds and fog but writing is really hard to explain in a good way that it's foggy and creepy and that kind of stuff i feel like ambiance is going to be uh executed more through voice than anything else like how the character 
is thinking and feeling is going to establish the environment of the like person reading it more than anything else. But I also find voice really difficult to talk about because it's nebulous and weird. So I might be wrong. <laughs> well, speaking of a fog thing directly, uh, I'm, I know some of you guys have read uh, The Wheel of Time, right? Do you, do you remember one of the earlier books when they go into the waves for the first time and then they've got their lantern and it's like you've got the darkness around them that just kind of eats at the light and that things that just kind of go off into it, you know, they just kind of never come back and it kind of limits their perception on anything that they do. And so you're, you're kind of, you're kind of stuck in a bubble as you travel, you know, just like if you were surrounded by fog to where your perceptions are very small and any sort of like horror or any sort of suspense setting that always makes things a lot more dangerous. So, I mean, usually when you're describing something like that in storytelling, you've got to do it more on the fears and doubts of the people mm -hmm. than any physical description of what's around them. Yeah, a description of there is a thing and it disappeared. It can be uh, foreboding or it could just be an objective state that happened. How the people react mm -hmm. to it is going to establish what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So instead, and like in a game, they're trying to like evoke that feeling in the person playing it by limiting their abilities. But you just have to tell it of what the character is feeling in a book instead. Is there a game that doesn't go down the route of typically two thirds of the way through the story? They take everything away from you and force you to go through something without it. I don't think Morrowind <laughs> ever did that. <laughs> There's a few Skyrim moments, but they don't do it too much. Eh. <laughs> I have opinions about Skyrim. Great, fun, adventurous game. Don't rely on subtle storytelling. No. Or like I don't know. My big my biggest problem with Skyrim is that I don't care about it. <laughs> I should care about it. I loved Morrowind. I grew up on Morrowind and I, I don't mean, care about Skyrim. The problem is Ulfric That's is just so clearly in the wrong that you can't ever side with him. Eh. There's more than that. Well like in Morrowind, when you go do a side quest, like you're you're getting a thing, and it has to do with someone's personal story. Like yeah. I, I feel connected to that character. But then in Skyrim, you're going to do a side quest. It's go get me five fire salts from this dun from this Draugr dungeon because there's nothing else in the game. Yeah. They do, yeah. And the problem with them is like they just don't really give you any choice ever. I, like the Thieves Guild in particular, it's like you just can't get out of the situation of joining the Thieves Guild if you ever go to Riften. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you don't get the option of being like, no, I'm going to arrest you because you're trying to get me to commit thievery. But they right? also didn't make things cost anything like for, say, the Dark Brotherhood in Oblivion. When you do the Dark Brotherhood, you have to actually choose someone to kill and then you get to join. But in Skyrim, they gave you a person that you can go kill and you don't have any ramifications otherwise. And they frame it as a good thing. So it's not you don't even get to feel like a terrible person when you're doing it. You get rewarded, and it's like they took away they anything that would be cost. So I stopped caring about it. Yeah, they don't ever make you actually feel like you're doing a bad thing. Or even a good thing. Just don't feel when I'm playing it. Just get dark pissed off. In, <laughs> in uh, Oblivion was fantastic. Yeah, that was creepy. I loved it. It also helped that, you know, you have to sleep in Oblivion. You don't actually have to sleep in Skyrim, so you might accidentally never actually get kidnapped and join the Dark Brotherhood. That's a good point. Like, you can just completely miss it because you don't have to sleep. Did yeah, anybody actually, play uh, Fallout 4? Nope. I liked, I liked Fallout 4. 
It's a very unpopular opinion. I mean, probably had one the of the quest. best. The the introduction to the store was probably one of the I think one of the strongest introductions to any any game I've probably ever played. That had had my hands sweating, and it may just be because I'm a parent. I don't know, but yeah, I think the moment the Brotherhood arrives in the Commonwealth is a fantastic scene. You walk out on a rooftop, and there's just skyships soaring across the sky with horns blaring and announcing their arrival with every fanfare they can imagine. Oh, yeah. It doesn't hurt that you can see the stupid skyship from, like, anywhere on the map. <laughs> Just ignore the main quest, huh? It's that shitty? No, I it's... thought it was good. I... It's, a, it's a shock. Yeah, I mean, it's a twist, I guess. Maybe not a shock, but it's a twist. Wait, how so? Spoil everything. Talk about it. I have 147 hours, and I've never actually made it to the Institute. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I've read it all. The, the basic plot is, um, so, uh, you know, the whole thing with Fallout, you've got this corporation, the, um, you know, uh, Vault Tech, and they're basically going to try to put everybody in these vaults, and they're horrible people, but they're going to put these people in the vaults because they know there's about to be nuclear war and everybody's going to die. So you start at the story, uh, you're a war veteran, you and your spouse have just had a kid, and basically this Vault Tech uh, uh guy comes to you and says hey we've got a space for you in the vault and then like 10 minutes after he says that a nuclear bomb is coming down and you have you have all got to run to where the vault is and when you get there they put you in cryogenic stasis saying everything's gonna be okay well you wake up halfway through and um or not halfway through but you don't know when and then basically you see your spouse get murdered to take the ba- your child from them and then you get frozen again and you're spending the majority of the story trying to find your child again you know, what happened to him? Has it been, how many years have passed in the cryostasis? And what you comes to find out is that your child is like, I don't know, like 60 years older and is like in charge of these group of people who are trying to act like humans, but they're machines called synths. So, yeah. It's MIT. Spoiler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's at MIT. So he's the bad guy then? Yes. Mm, sort of. He's the guy you spent the whole game thinking was the bad guy. Yes. Huh. Yeah. And it turns out to be your son. Eh. It kind of just feels a little predictable, I guess, because like in Fallout 3, your father is the one who disappears and he's kind of the one behind everything, sort of, I think. It, I haven't played it a whole lot and it was a really long time ago anyway, so I might be wrong. Please don't be mad at me. But and then it's like I mean, the, the follow up game is. Good guy okay. But he's like. Also Liam Neeson. Yeah. So. In Fallout 3, it's the father that's important, and in the Fallout 4, it's the son that's important. It's just like, um, what if I don't care about family? What if I hate children? I don't know. You know, it's, it's a <laughs> game, and there's nothing you can do about it because children are invincible. <laughs> Fucking Bethesda. There were no children in Morrowind. They were not annoying because they weren't there. I love Morrowind. Which... The number of people in Skyrim, the number of kids I want to just... <laughs> well, speaking of kids... You you know going into Mass Effect three anybody who's played it that that kid has to be part of the machines because that is the only time in all those Mass Effect games they ever show one freaking kid and the first time <laughs> that they show one I'm like there's something there's something different with this kid there's something different with it I knew he had to be like one of the machines or something like that yeah you can't just have a kid that shows up out of nowhere and then just not nowhere. important mm-hmm. yeah just nothing creepier than children. <laughs> why is that? that right. Like, why, why is that? Why is that? Like, it's 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 a universal truth, but why? Maybe because we don't understand them, and they keep us awake at night. Yeah, they keep me awake at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, 
we, we've been watching uh, Legion on from FX, the new X Men show, and it's like it's got some stuff from like in his memories when he's a kid, and it's just like fucking creepy as shit. I was like, Ugh. <laughs> well, you know, I'm. I hate to even bring reference to this because it's a it's a horrible book series and I cannot stand it and everything. But my wife's totally into it. But in Twilight, there's there's one thing in Twilight that is the creepiest thing ever, and it's the immortal babies. That right there. I mean, you think about it. Vamp like like a little kid having vampire powers is a horrible idea. I mean, yeah. Which I, I actually give her credit for actually thinking through that. Like, <laughs> so you have the option or ability to make anyone a vampire and they have all the vampire abilities, but they never age. So if you make a two year old, a vampire, they stay two forever. And yep. then they can go on horrible rampaging massacres. If they have a temper tantrum, Yep, I do like, uh, and they want to eat people because they taste good. Terrible. With, uh, Dark brotherhood in Skyrim. You've got Babette who is a like, eh. 12 year old vampire girl. Who likes sharing the stories of how she tricks creepy old men who are perverts into going into dark corners where, with her so she can beat on them. I get tired of that trope. You're just like, oh, you have a, a little girl and she's actually a 500-year-old vampire. It's like, I'm, I don't know. Maybe I just was really irritated with Skyrim still, but I just kind of got <laughs> tired of it. Anyone read Let the White One In? Read it? I watched the movie. Good movie, too. The non-American remake? I never saw the American remake, so... I no, Swedish. Yeah. Yeah. But good movie. Creepy movie. I thought it was really slow up until like it got really interesting and then it ended. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt. <laughs> but it's funny that a eternal 12-year-old girl vampire needs, basically needs to hoodwink people into being her protector. Yeah. Daddy issues, I'm telling you. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't have them? Hopefully everyone here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Is there another game that we shall talk about? I was going to say, because I'd be remiss not to mention it, considering Friday, but just the Zelda stories mm. as a whole, especially when the compilation book thing came out, where basically every Zelda game is its own hero's journey, in and of itself, but the entire series tells various points of the hero's journey in success and failure as you go through it. For anyone who's who's played Ocarina of Time. Not me. I've never played any Zelda game. Link to no. the Past was as far as I got. No. Oh my god, people. Uh, right. The new Zelda <laughs> came out on Friday with the new Nintendo That's all that. It looks good. The Switch. It does, does look good. But um, the Ocarina of Time... In and of itself is a great example of the hero's journey of the removal from innocence, the mentor, the emergence into the real world and cycle and whatnot. You can spend hours reading about the hero's journey. But the fun thing with Zelda is the fact that that game itself is the branching point of either the hero's journey succeeds or it fails. And the various games, the timeline is very wonky in Zelda, but various games, they fit it in where... If you fail in Ocarina of Time, some of the games come afterwards of the Dark Era where the hero failed and kind of Mistborny, where you go through the steps afterwards, and then some of the games show the hero succeeding in the follow-up of that. But each one is its own hero's journey in and of itself. But Ocarina of Time, though, just kind of brings up the idea of time travel, because I know that 
uh, let's see, when you're a kid, you teach a song to an old man, and then when you're an adult, you learn that song from the old man, and then you go back in time, and you are the kid, and you teach him the song, and... Yep. Yeah, it's a whole weird, like... That's cool. Yeah. But have you guys played uh, Chrono Trigger? Uh, No, I never did. Nope. Okay. Wow. I know. Jacob, I would have expected you. Yeah. I'm not not big into RPGs. It's good, though. I mean, it's... Like probably the oldest game I've ever actually really played, and as over the summer at the behest of my husband, and it's um because it's all like weird about time travel, and then there's big dark overlord things, and something's going to destroy the world. It was like there's a ton of stuff in it, but once you get the ability to go back and forward in time, you get to see how everything is really playing out. So at one point, uh, there's a girl character at like the present time, and then you go back in time and you do something a little different than what actually happened in history then she just completely disappears because her bloodline ha- wasn't created and uh then you have fun things like a knight that's a frog that was just really fun um <laughs> but then so there's a i believe it's called masamune it was a sword a katana it is really mm-hmm. good sword but it has like a personality and um there's like there's two like little boy creatures i don't remember if they were human or aliens i think they weren't human all the way back in the past and they got kind of like formed into the sword so when you go more towards the future and you get the sword they have like a weird reaction of like being a p- person and then the sword and i don't remember a whole lot of the details but you get really fun things with time travel in that game and there's a lot of story filled things too yeah, you want to talk time travel do majora's mask yeah that, that one gets weird <laughs> you have it's- yeah the one after Ocarina of Time and Zelda, but you have three days before the moon crashes down. And basically... And then you go over. Yes. Basically, you have to accomplish as much as you can that'll stay in the world that every cycle until you finish the game. But it gets very wonky. Especially the stupid couple's mask where you've got to do an entire game's worth of effort in one day. <laughs> no, no, one game that is... I just love the story for was the South Park Stick of Truth. Absolutely hilarious, but it really, it's only great if you're into South Park because it's essentially a 12 hour long South Park episode that works <laughs> so well. It's so funny. I, I don't I know if do I, that. I don't know if I've laughed so much <laughs> that I have with that game. Like it's, it's terrible in that perfect South Park way. <laughs> It's terrible in the, like, why am I laughing at this horrible shit way? That or just it's so over the top and gratuitous. <laughs> like, like there's one battle where, because you're the new kid, and there's one battle where you're fighting the underwear gnomes who steal your underwear. <laughs> Profit. While, while <laughs> you're trying not to get crushed by your parents having sex. <laughs> so, like, every once in a while there's quick time events so you know, avoid, God. like, the scrotum and shit. It's just, oh my god! It's fantastic. If you, but again, you have to have that. You have to be a fan of the show. If you like the show, you'll like the game. <laughs> do you have to be a fan of the show and watch it regularly, or do you just need to be a fan of that kind of humor? Just that kind of humor. Um, there, there's definitely some inside jokes that if you you'll get if you're a fan, but it's not necessary. But there's a there's a couple like stuff like they'll be in the background or whatever, and it's like I'll, you know I just start laughing and everyone else around me is like what are you laughing at? I'm like well there's this from this episode and and the gameplay itself is actually pretty solid as a you know sort of a turn based RPG game. 
you know, you you can play four classes. It's uh, the fighter, the sorcerer, the rogue, or the Jew. And <laughs> <laughs> the Jew's a class. The Jew is a class. Yes. Why does that not surprise me at all? The Jew is sort of a like a mix between a spellcaster and a fighter. <laughs> That's funny. Did y'all play Portal Two? Oh, I love Portal, Portal yeah. Two. Oh my gosh, that that story had a really interesting way of telling, or that game had an interesting way of telling a story very passively through being taunted the entire time. And the environment tells you a whole lot that, you know, and the whole I'm, I don't know all the stuff with Cave Johnson. I mean that that stuff. Oh, I love so Cave Johnson. <laughs> and then what was her name? Catherine or Carolyn or Carolyn? Mm-hmm. Carolyn. Caroline. Yeah, Caroline. that turn that becomes uh, Glados. Yeah, <laughs> I just because you killed me, you monster, you monster, and then she's stuck in a potato. Yeah, how was your day? Because I'm a potato. Yeah, uh, I never. They, I just... they do dialogue brilliantly well in that because mm-hmm. that's the entire game. But you so ever you... play uh, co-op? No, huh? I never did. Uh, me and my what wife played through the co-op, and it continues the story. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. And it's. It's awesome. It basically the conclusion of it is uh, you find a gigantic vault of more humans, just like uh, Chell was, and locked in like you know these rooms of stasis or whatever. And then Glados blows you up, and then you yeah. die because <laughs> <laughs> you're no longer useful. <laughs> I think my favorite crossover is the is Wheatley falling into Skyrim because it is. Wait. so there what was a uh, I don't think it's in the special edition. I haven't seen it and I've been playing that. But in the original Skyrim, there's an official add-on from Bethesda that is the Space Corps in which you're walking near Whiterun and Wheatley basically falls out of space and crashes into a building and you can turn him into a helmet. (laughs) That's weird. Yes, it is. But he's got his little dialogue running for a little while and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, and doesn't it turn out that the whole portal thing is like also part of Half-Life? Yeah, isn't I, would it, imagine, like, actually, I would imagine because I thought it was the orange a, box the, in general. The same world building, like the same world, and the fact that it was yeah, same fortress that, also. Flat company, something I don't remember what the name is, uh, is but they had it was Mesa. the same corporation. Black Mesa. Yeah. Black Mesa, yeah. yeah. Are we ever getting Half Life Three? No, Come no. On. <laughs> Valve can't count to three, so I've been told. Yeah, Half- where's Portal Three? Fuck it, like. <laughs> Half-Life, the, the original Half-Life is one of the best games I've ever played. I mean, I know that's the, not, like, like supposed to be, but still. I when the Marines show up and the tension just, like, jumps up ten levels, fantastic. You'll ever see that Half-Life in 60 seconds? No. Yeah, you'll have to look it up on YouTube. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. I love it in, actually, thinking of Portal 2, is that Wheatley is trying to get you to talk and they say press space to talk and you you just jump <laughs> and they make fun of you <laughs> <laughs> oh the humor in those games is fantastic. yeah and uh, then glados is um yelling at your taunting you for having gained weight while in stasis somehow defying all reason and science <laughs> another game if you want to get into just like interesting Interesting way to use narrators is Stanley Parable. I don't know if I would oh, yeah, call it a fun. game, but that's a good if you want a good like crash course in how to use narrators, it's pretty good. And how if you just like stay in the closet, he gets more and more impatient with you. 
<laughs> you're standing in the closet. You could do the things he tells you to do, and if you do other things, he gets aggravated and and gets pissed off. The narrator gets aggravated. Yeah. Yes. So like, <laughs> he wants as you're walking, as you're game. playing this game, like you're being narrated, and so if you do things against the narrator, he gets upset with you and starts talking to you. <laughs> it's a lesson for every heavily narrated voice-based game like that. The developers usually have fun putting in background dialogue that you find by not doing what they want you to do. <laughs> and especially just the idea of like sitting there doing nothing for multiple hours in order to get through all of the stuff that he's going to like say at you, yell at you, try to tell you that you're a terrible person. What for? Yeah, that, that, I, I did enjoy that game, but I'm really happy I didn't pay full price for it because I would have felt chipped. <laughs> Like it was I feel like, like tw- paying full price for anything. I know, but it was like it was like twenty twenty five dollars when it came out, and I got it on Steam sale for like three, and three was about the right price for it. <laughs> three is the correct price for Stanley Parable because it's, it's it's fun, essentially it's an hour. $2. It's like an hour game. Like it's not very long at all. So the fact that I paid I think thirteen dollars for Rocket League, I, I got a steal there. Another really great sort of story based game is thing- Rocket League. Yes, happening around you story kind of game is a Papers, Please. Have y'all, yeah. have y'all played that at all? Mm-mm. No, but I do have it. Oh, Steam sales. <laughs> so yeah, they, they, they'll catch you with that. Papers, papers, Please, you play a crossing guard for a fictional communist country in the 80s. <laughs> and so you're doing like, and, and you have to make all these decisions like, uh, in like you, because you're making money for every person you process, so it's important to go fast, but you also have to be accurate, or like you get to, you know, you start losing money, and if you don't have enough money, you know, your grand, you know, your parents start to die, and your kids start to get sick, <laughs> and you don't have enough food to feed oh, wow. them. <laughs> it's in so it's really interesting, and so there's this whole other like revolution subplot going on that like they're trying to help they're trying to get you to help them out and all this other weird stuff and it's just sort of all happening around and you get little bits from like the people while you're talking to people in while you're processing them i just downloaded and installed it since you began that (laughs) it's a very small 40 it is less than 42 megabytes it is i'm not even surprised it is the game itself is really crazy because all you're doing, it's essentially a paperwork sim. It's essentially what it is. <laughs> but you're standing there, like your heart's racing because you're like, you're trying to do it. Like, like it is really intense for what it is. Like, I, I'm, it's really an impressive game. Didn't you guys play the uh, most recent Wolfenstein game? Have you, yep. have you all played no. it? About two thirds of the uh, first one, not the expansion pack. Okay. That game right there, probably for a shooter, has one of the best stories I've seen. Because, you know, a lot of times they kind of pare down the stories to like nothing in a shooter. It's like, oh, here's the bad guys. Go after them. But there was like there was like a pretty strong uh, romance that was a part of the story. And then there was some stuff with like the main character had left someone injured. And so she was in a wheelchair and then she gets to fly the helicopter. And, you know, it takes away her sensation of being helpless. And I don't know. It was a really I thought it was a really good story. Or you know a shooter, I recommend it. Nice. I think, I think the series did a good job too, up until like two thirds of the way through the second one, where they just kind of stopped getting creative. But I never played those. 
you think like you're playing the protagonist in these stories and then you just die and you have to pick it up with the person who's next but they do they just do a decent job of uh it's a i mean modern story of warfare but bad guys jump around and i don't know i can't go on too long about it but <laughs> it's kind of reminding me of battlefield one which i feel like it's a little cheating because it's not like it has a whole story it's actually history but in some of like the campaigns that they're bringing in like real people and at least one of them is that your goal is to play a person up until they die and then they show a person's name birth date death date type thing oh yeah i just was doing the trial this weekend it's pretty fun. I, I like the fact that it's connected to history, and like if you deviate from history, they're going to narrate it like you did. <laughs> I do like that part more when where you can you know play it how you want, but they'll let you know when you broke your destiny. But you can mm-hmm. keep playing. It. But oh, by the way, you shouldn't have killed that person. They're not immune from everything that you decide to do, like in Morrowind or, or in Oblivion or Skyrim. See, actions have consequences in Morrowind, and I love it. It's one thing to like protect the main storyline, but Skyrim just went so far off. Like, why is every single person completely immune? Because people bitch about doing something wrong and then they kowtow to the bitchers. Like, I should shut up now. Do you just like seeing me upset, Colin? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Is there another game we should talk about or should we wrap up since we're past an hour? I just wanted to hit on. The Wolf Among, Wolf Among Us, I think that is what it's called. to uh, Telltale's Walking Dead. It, well, it was it is a Telltale game, and it's really good. It's uh, Oh, yeah. I played that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's kind of Dresden-esque in some ways. In some ways, yeah. But it's it's definitely worth playing all the way through. But it's, you know, you're, you're essentially storybook characters in, like, New York City. And you're the cop trying to keep everybody safe. And, you know, different characters start getting murdered. Like, I think Snow White gets beheaded or something like that at some point. Uh, but that's a good one. I mean, all almost all of Telltale's newer games are really good for stories. And I do want to mention, if you want a good example of how to build good characters, supporting characters, go play Mass Effect 2 and tell me more than Solus isn't the coolest thing ever. <laughs> or go play the Witcher games. Or the Witcher Which games. might be cheating because they were based on books, but I know those games are amazing. We should have an entire episode dedicated entire to the Witcher. On the Witcher. The books plus the games and and other uh, things. So I'll uh, I'll set that one out because I haven't seen a single second. I don't even know if I've actually seen Witcher played before. You have to fight a fetus abortion monster at one point. Yeah, and if you want to test your new gaming rig, go play The Witcher Three and turn up yes. the hair graphics yeah, as high as you can. Isn't there like a sex on a unicorn too? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I love that. Multiple times, I think, if you do it right. If you (laughs) in uh in South Park at some point, you have to give Randy an abortion. It's pretty crazy. (laughs) I think we could do a whole episode in Hearts of Stone too. Yeah. Oh God. Well-crafted storyline they run you through. That was amazing too. Um, in the first Witcher game, you have the ability to basically collect cards of sex conquests. Every person you get to have sex with, you get a, a card in your collection. You think a mutant guy who fights monsters wouldn't have time for sex, but he's impotent, so he makes time for sex. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> impotent. It's wonderful. 
<laughs> Sex uh, makes the world go round, right? Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, you can find us at brokenjarsbroadcasting at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jacob Ingalls. Um, we, are, we have a Patreon now, so patreon.com forward slash brokenjars if you want to give us some of your hard earned money, which we will very $2 much have... a month, and you get to join us on Discord and yell at us whenever you want. Yeah. So if you want to tell us how bad we suck to our face, well, to our faces, so to speak, uh, yeah, you can do that for only $2 a month. Please do. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah, having like, fans is really fun. We like criticism, especially when you pay us to criticize us. Yes, you can criticize me all you want if you pay me. <laughs> um, see, we have other podcasts like Justin Files podcast that I'm doing. Uh, yeah, that's going to be next week. And then Please check great it out. Scott. It's amazing. It is. It's a lot of fun. I think it's amazing. Yes, we have Great Scott, Scott, which is about The Office. We are currently in season four. Just did dinner party last episode. They just did dinner party, guys. Yeah, have to check out at least that episode so you can enjoy the dinner party all over again. Um, Enjoy. uh, Yes, enjoy. Um, There is uh, Dangerous to Go Alone is coming back this month, March 15th. He told me he'll be back. Um, there's Shylock's gaming and podcast plus Twist streaming. And uh, am I forgetting anything? Uh, no. Um... Okay, Jeremy, please plug all of your stuff. Yeah, so uh, you can always find things about me at whoisfitzpatrick.com. And of course, I'm active on Twitter at JF Malden. I'm always there rambling some crap and, you know, kind of that kind of stuff. You know, I, I finished a book about. Uh, a father and his daughter at the end of the world. So that's going to be a thing here coming up. Is it painful? So. To, is it like sad and horrifying? And <sighs> In parts, yes. And it, and it's got a lot of comedy in it. Well, I don't say a lot of comedy. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know, he tries to make the best of it. Not quite in like a Mark Watney kind of the Martian way, but it's a survival story. And so that always lends, you know, to that sort of uh, gallows humor at times. So, um, yeah. So there you go. That's that's going to be a thing. What's it titled again? It's called The Two That Remained. Uh, however, uh, once it ends up in the hands of a publisher, that may that could always change. But that is the uh, title I've gone with ever since the start. So great. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And also, yeah. in uh, three to four months, we'll be having New York Times best-selling author Daniel H. Wilson on the show. Uh, he wrote Robe Apocalypse, um, several other things. We're actually getting an advanced release copy of his new book, so that'll be fun to read through. Uh, so yeah, be put that on your calendars for you know three four months down the road. Put that ambiguous date on your calendar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's July something, I believe. I, that's as far as I know. So it better be as far as it is. Okay, I, I we're done here. This is fun to do, and. We can Bye, go everyone. on forever. Yes. yes, we can. We should stop now and contain ourselves. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.